The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have not been paying attention. When you were just talking to me, do you think that you could repeat the question? I don't know. Do we make him do the papa pause? It's so undignified. I almost want to do it I now. Know. I almost want to make him do it. <laughs> Give him a break. Yeah, I guess so. Give him a break. He said my smoking doesn't bother him, so I might have to actually vote yeah, for the guy now. <laughs> I'm pulling a Democrat ballot. Although, Good, I, huh? although I really want to pull a Republican ballot, I'm an independent. We'll do that in the final. I need the Democratic vote in, in September. Yeah. That's it, one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want, I, I, I want to vote in the Republican governor's race, but I have so many Democrats that I'm supporting in the primary yeah. Yeah. that I'm like this. I think I'm going to have to pull a Democrat. All right, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Yeah. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, top Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. I want to thank our sponsors before we get anything, before we do anything at all. I want to thank our sponsors, McLennan Real Estate, Century 21, Lazy River Products, and Drake. You know, you're all worked up about, we've lost our rights. Roe v. Wade's been overturned. The gas prices are too high. What are we going to do? Everybody's all stressed out, running around, driving each other off the road. Go to Lazy River Products and Drake it. Get yourself some cannabis. Everything's going to be okay. Marsan and Son Construction. This is the time to get your construction done. You don't want to wait till fall because everybody waits till fall. You want to call Marsan and Son Construction now and book whatever construction needs you have for the fall. EIS, Investigation and Gun Training. Borelli's Deli, where I get my hot sausages right after that. You've been to Borelli's Deli, yes, right, Sheriff? Yes, I have. When, what is your favorite thing there? Sausage, I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just a basic sausage guy, not the fancy basic sausage. Me Peppers too, onions, me that's too. It. Tomo and Shaken yeah. Seafood right down on uh, South Broadway in Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, free shout out to Clear Path, New England. Uh, Clear Path for Veterans, New England. AFC Urgent Care. We love Lisa and Tom and everybody over at AFC Urgent Care. Pleasant Valley Landscaping. Dave Id Consoli. Maybe we'll have Dave Id Consoli come in for the, um, for the last... Uh, show before the election, we do when we do our pre-election show. Oh, there you go. Maybe he's the guy because I'm looking to have like somebody come in and just kind of like banter with and go over all the candidates. And who else do we leave? A, we want to say a free shout out to JG's Ice Cream. We love yes. them. And I want to let you know that on September, I'm sorry, in August, see my my lips get ahead of my brain. It happens. And then just oh, you don't ever know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, it, on August 25th, we're going to have the state senate debate uh, for Lawrence and Methu- it's Lawrence Methuen Haverhill, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Pavel Payano, Eunice Ziegler, and Doris Rodriguez are going to be here at 3.30. We have already four sponsors for this debate. AFC Urgent Care, Francisco Polino, candidate for state representative, Marcos Devers, candidate for state representative, and Estella Reyes, candidate for state representative. And if you'd like to sponsor our, um, our debate that night, Please reach out to me on Facebook. Email me at valleypatriot at aol.com. Um, it's going to be a good debate, and it's going to be the only debate in that race. Now, I know it, nothing against MCTV and Methuen, but what they do, they call a debate. It's not a debate. It's a forum. You can't say to somebody, how are you going to solve world peace in 30 seconds? It, that doesn't work in the real world, right? So this is going to be a real debate where we'll have the three candidates here, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I will throw out a topic and say, what do you think about the Roe v. Wade decision? And then let them talk to each other. I'll completely set back and let you see how they work with each other, how they agree, how they disagree, how they handle the situation, because that's what you need to know when you're looking for somebody to vote for. In the studio with me today, I think this is his third appearance. It might even be his fourth, Mm. right? Uh, Kevin Carpenter, he's the Essex County Sheriff. We did some great debates the year that you ran. We did. We had, what, nine candidates? Thirteen total. Thirteen candidates we had up on stage at North Andover High School. We had, like, 40 sponsors for that. Oh, my God, it was ridiculous. Um, And of all of those candidates, the one guy that that emerged, he was like like the Phoenix Phoenix from the Ashes. Kevin Carpenter uh, was victorious in that election. And we have him here. When he called me and he said, I'd like to come on the show and I'd like to get some ads in the paper, I said, are you going to be endorsing somebody? Is that like why you're coming on? He said, no, I'm running. And I thought, oh, my God, I didn't even realize he was he was running this year. But I know that you do have an opponent and I know she's working Lawrence very hard. Jackie Marmel supporting her. Um, otherwise, I never would have known about it. When you first start with tell people who you are. Um, a little bit about yourself, your background and stuff, and then we'll ask like the political questions. Sure. My, uh, my First of all, Tom, thank you for the invite. It's always fun to come up and, and, Love and chat, having chat you with you, and it's always entertaining, and your show is always entertaining. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, um, my career basically is uh, I was a police officer in actually the town of Linfield for three years. Then I transferred over to the city of Lynn where I was born and brought up, and I still reside. 32 years of the Lynn Police Department, the last seven as chief of police. And then in 2016, uh, then-Sheriff Frank Cousins decided to retire. He announced his retirement, and a few friends said, hey, Kevin, you'd make a great sheriff. And originally I said, no, thank you, and I thought about it, and I called Sheriff Cousins. I went up, I, can I come up for 20 minutes and talk to you, Frank? He said, sure. Three and a half hours later, I walked out of there, like, I can do this. Yeah. And I threw my name in the hat, my, 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 uh, my hat in the ring. And it was, as you said, it was an eventful uh, um, campaign. It was a very spirited primary. That's a good way I mean, to put it. Very it was, spirited. It was, it was tough. That yeah. was a tough primary. It was. But, uh, you know, my background, I got a, a master's degree in criminal justice. I uh, went to the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia for three months, which is very unique. Only 1% of law enforcement in the country get to go to that. And mm-hmm. I was the first person out of Lynn PD to go to that. So I've got a lot of, lot of ex- expert experience, a lot of expertise in the criminal justice background. Jumped into corrections in 2017 when I got... Uh, uh, sworn in and inauguration, and uh, we've hit the ground running, including the two years of COVID when the world was shut down. But I, I just remind everybody that it didn't shut down for us. We've got a lot of inmates to watch. And, and How did you handle that? How did you handle, you know, it never even dawned on me when, when everything was shut down, COVID, everybody has to wear masks, vaccines, dis- social di- How do you social distance in a prison, right? It never even dawned on me, like, how how difficult a job you must have had yeah trying to keep everybody safe inside your prison. I mean, that's, all, that's a tough job yeah. to begin with without COVID and then adding COVID into that equation. Yeah, it, it was a huge task. And, and even with the whole world, it came on us so fast and quick, we didn't really what to do. So I'm kind of a research guy. You know, I, I was watching the, the, you know, the CDC. I actually had you know, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mary Lou Sunners, on speed dial. Hopefully you didn't believe anything any, any of them said. Well, you know, I had to take, for, take everything for granted and figure out what's, what's fact and what's fiction. Right. And that's what I do in the law enforcement world anyway, because... Essex County um, at the time was the largest hot jail and house of correction in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. We've since dropped Suffolk County's, so it's bigger. But we average right now about 1,150 inmates. At the time COVID hit, we were around just shy of 1,500. And it's an older facility, so we had to deal with it. And we did have outcome, uh, excuse me, outbreaks of COVID. I'm not going to lie, it was in the paper. And, and you know, we, uh, we come up with a lot of protocols, an, an intake protocol, a quarantine protocol, 
We we pushed the masks, the uh, you know the PPEs, the personal protection equipment. Did any of that we, work? Yes, it did. Really, it did. So right. just a quick example, Tom. So if somebody came in, we still do it today to a point. It's a little bit less because the vaccinations are out. But if somebody came into our jail, we, we would through the regular intake, then they would go into a 14-day quarantine specialized unit. Nobody else goes over there except the new people. We would test them when the test came out. Finally, we would test them for COVID, monitor their health through the, you know, the, the healthcare company we contract with. And then 14 days later, they tested negative. Then we'll put them back out into the general population. Okay. It kept it down. It wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but it kept it down. And then we controlled it. And then if we had outbreaks over the two years, you know, they were much smaller. And then we would just, you know, we would designate a housing unit as a COVID positive unit, put the inmates in there, give them the extra medical care. And our staff, we made sure they were, you know, whether it's Tyvek suits with masks and what gloves, whatever they needed. We, I guess I can admit this on this show, we robbed Peter to pay Paul, but wherever we could find the PPEs when the days of uh, all the stock was very difficult mm-hmm. to find, we found it. Right. And we, so we made sure our staff was safe and the inmates safe. And we dealt with it, you know, and it's, it's under control. Once yep. in a while we have a spike, but it's under control. But like I said, though, we had to come to work every day. Mm-hmm. The court shut down, public shut down, police officers went and firefighters went to work. We went to work right. every day and, and we're in the jail with, you know, 1100. Right. Odd, and that puts you far more at rest because oh, yeah. you're in a very high risk population. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So when you ran for sheriff, I always ask, I always like to ask incumbents this. When you ran for sheriff, now that you're sheriff, is it what you thought it was going to be when you were running? Is it is it is it everything you thought it was going to be, or is this something totally? Because most elected officials say, "No, I thought it was going to be this," and I got in and went, "Holy crap! It's actually something totally different." I'm going to give you like a half an answer to okay. that. It is what I thought it was. Being a, being a, in law enforcement all those years, I thought I knew corrections, and then I got there, and there were parts of it I didn't know, and I knew that going in. But when COVID hit. And then all the, the protocols and then court shutting down. And what do we do? And how do we communicate with the inmates? How do the inmates communicate with their lawyers? Because we couldn't have people coming in the jail. That's the part that was surprising to me as sheriff. But we rolled up our sleeves. We have a great team. And we, we adapted. You know, mm-hmm. We took advantage of technology. We, we went out and gave each inmate a tablet so they could communicate with their attorneys. Because the courts were still going to a point. But a lot of it was video court right. now, so we had to enhance that, so we're not taking the inmates out. But Now that it's over, did you take the tablets back? No, no, we didn't. Yeah. You know, we didn't because, it's well, it, it solves a problem, and that's a great question. It solves a problem with inmate mail and smuggling of contraband into our facility. You know, I never thought of that. And that's why we did it. You know, again, I, so they you know, get email instead of regular mail, and they can't sneak something into the letter or dip it in something. It's, it's not unusual when, if somebody would just send a letter to an inmate, and they would put, you know, contraband inside the envelope, right. and then... And and then you know we can we do we have a right to search, but you can't search all the all the email all the all the mail. So now it goes to an outside company. They open it, they secure any contraband, and then they now text or send the um, the the mail electronically. Yeah, scan it, send scan it, scan it, scan yeah. it, send it. So now it's in the tablet. So we stop that contraband. That's ingenious. That's the best I'm, part about. I'm that. learning all kinds of stuff, and he's only been here a minute and a half. <laughs> I love this. So uh, the, let's get to a tough topic. Uh, I get a lot of complaints on a regular basis, at least two or three a week. Um, from people in Lawrence who say um, when someone goes to prison, someone goes to jail in Essex County, and then they get out, they're dropped off in Lawrence. A van pulls up. This is what I'm told constantly from people in Lawrence. A van pulls up, they get out, and they just start wandering the streets. And the people in Lawrence who complain to me are mostly elected officials. They're like, well, what the hell is this? We're trying to clean the city up, and then we pull over on Essex Street, and a van pulls up, and five guys get out and start wandering the street because they just got out of prison. And, and there should be someplace else for them to go. So I said, well, when I have the sheriff, I'm going to ask him about that. Great question. Leads me into one of our newer programs anyway, too. But anyway, um, 34 cities and towns in Essex County, and we have inmates from them all. 
and they go back to those cities and towns because the average stay in our jail in our house of corrections is only nine months so we have a big transient population so when they come out we always look for where first of all if they have a substance use disorder or a mental illness we look for a halfway house we look mm-hmm. for some place to take whatever we're doing for treatment inside the facility take them to a halfway house and get them some more treatment out, get out in the community so they're outside of our thing and they've got a place to go if they don't, and then, you know, we try to reunite them with family or wherever they can go so they have a roof over their head. Maybe mm-hmm. you get a couple meals on the table each day. But those that, that don't have an address, that's, that's a problem. Where, where, do we, where do we drop them off? Mm-hmm. You, know, we, we, you know, they're out of our custody. We no longer have a legal uh, authority to keep them in custody. So we, we, we might drop them off at the court. We might drop them off at a location, maybe at the police department. Could you do it like Kansas? I probably just I, drive them out to Kansas. I, I guarantee you, I wouldn't get reelected if no. I did that. I don't you know. know. I think yeah. the people of Lawrence might be really happy if you did it that way. But the new thing we have now is our reentry program. We opened up, uh, a, you know, a new facility here in Lawrence as well as in Lynn, the supporting transition and reentry program, STAR program. We love acronyms. So now STAR is a place where these these guys. It's not residential, but it is. They can go back to to the to the uh, to our STAR programs, even if they're outside the court system. If they need help with education or treatment or mental illness, whatever it is. And we, and we have staff in there that we contract with who can provide those services. And we also have some grants through the Volunteers of America and other partner to pay for some transitional housing. And we also try to tie that into employment. It really is public safety. And I know you're a big public safety guy. So mm-hmm. what can we do as the sheriff to make Lawrence and the other 33 cities and towns safer for all the, all the residents? And that's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. And I just like I would throw back at the, at the elected officials, raise that question. What would you like us to do with them? Mm-hmm. Where would you like us to take them? Because we they have rights too. We have to admit that. Sure. So we do the best we can, but we're trying to provide those alternatives so they're not going back and living on the streets or not going back to life of crime. We're trying to find some place. How much housing does the sheriff's uh, does the East County Sheriff's Department own? I know there's a lot of housing. I know you've got a lot of halfway houses. You got one in nope. Salisbury. You got one in Newby. No. Uh, Am I right ye- years ago they had a lot. Years ago. Right now we have the Middleton facility. It was built in the early 90s for, for about 550 people. Our population today is about 1,150, and pre-COVID, we were just shy of 1,500. That's the main facility. Then we have the farm here in Lawrence, our previous lease center. That can hold up to about 300. There's no walls. There's no barbed wire. It's, it's the honor system. Yeah, it's we, like a campus. It's like a campus. Yeah. It's pre-release. They're getting ready to go back out. That can hold up to ballpark 300. The numbers today are probably you know 75-ish. you know ish. We have a small women's facility in Salisbury called the Women in Transition Center. That's got 24 beds there. And that's really it. We don't own any other halfway houses. We do contract one with one um, place in Lawrence, a ladder house. And then the rest of them, we really refer to, you know, I don't know if they're nonprofits or whatever, but other, other uh, privately owned and not owned by the Sheriff's Department, other mm-hmm. state facilities, halfway houses throughout, through some of our medical partners and our treatment partners who will just take these folks and then try to continue the services that they might If need. the legislature said to you tomorrow, look, we've got this $1 billion, whatever it is, uh, uh, surplus that they have in the budget. I mean, it's, it's so outrageous, I don't even know what the number is. But if they said to you, you know what, we've got all this extra money, we'd like to give you an extra... $30 million. What do you do with it? Build me a new facility. If it, really? wasn't, if it wasn't for duct tape and bubble gum, our, our facility here in Middleton would be falling down. Really? Built in the early 90s. Remember Salem Jail? I'm a little older than you, Tom, mm-hmm. but I mean, that place was, was a court audit to be shut down. They built, they bought Middleton. It was a prefab facility. Um, really destined for a southern climate. Put it up a hill in New England with the New England weather, and it's falling apart. And, you know, I've, I said 1,150 inmates. That was built for 550. The sheriff then double bunked it just to get to 1100 But it, it needs repairs, and we're always in there trying to repair it, but you can only polish a sneaker so far. Right. you got to put some money into it. And that 
the addition to a second answer to your question, if I had my druthers, I would just take some of that money and put it into pre- prevention programs in the community because this is crazy. I, I, everything. I, I, I really hate that answer. Uh, let me tell you why. Shoot. With all, with, yeah. with all the love there is, I have never seen a metric that shows that any kind of prevention, bull, anti, whether it's anti-bullying, whether it's anti-drug, I've never seen a metric or a measure that shows that any money that's spent on any preventative anything has, has reaped the results of the money that was spent. I would counter with that. When I was chief of police in Lynn, we created a behavioral health unit. Because we kind of saw, let me back up. I think any police officer with his or her assault knows the good guys and the bad guys on their patrol route. Mm-hmm. That's, that's your job. You should do that. So when we're in Lynn, we have a lot of, we'll call them repeat offenders, with suffering from whatever it is. And believe me, I am not an ultra-liberal. You know me well enough on that, yeah. that part of it. So we created this behavioral health unit. We hired two clinicians and a caseworker. We embedded them in the police department, and they got to know the officers. So the officers, see, say they see Kevin Coppinger on their route, and he's acting out. He's off his medication. They would go out, and they would grab Kevin Coppinger, take him to his doctor, get him leveled out. We saw results. We saw incidents with Kevin Coppinger reduce. Right. It's always tough. You really can't count what you prevent. Right. I'm not saying it's a perfect answer, because I right. don't totally disagree with the opposition on this one, but it's something right. we can do, because other than that, they get locked up and they're in my facility. What am I going to do with them? Because right. they really don't belong there sometimes. Right. So one of the big things that you talked about when you ran and then when you came back after you won was the addiction problem. And the, the, we all know that when someone goes to prison, they shouldn't have access to drugs. But we all know that when they, when they go to prison, they do have access to drugs somehow. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how are you now? Are you handling it any differently now than when you first got elected? the way you're dealing with substance abuse, the way you're dealing with, especially homelessness. If you, if you arrest a homeless person, put them in prison, when you let them out, they're just going to go back to the same environment yeah. and do it again. Yeah, yeah. the whole concept now, um, I mean, years and years ago, was lock them up, throw away the key. You know, And right. it worked for a while. And I'm still a big fan of that. I, a lot of people are. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people are. And I, my position is there's a time and a place for that. You know, There are people in our jail, because we're a jail and a house of correction. I've got some of the people charged with the most heinous crimes in the world. I've got about 45, 46 murder suspects sitting in Middleton waiting for trial. I've got over 400 inmates that are charged with like the part one crimes, which are the heavy crimes, the murder, the uh, assault with intent to murder, the, the uh, child rape, the, the uh, armed robbers, the, all the heavy, heavy crimes. They're in there, and a lot of them don't want anything to do with us. They're, they're just, that's it. And then we will offer them services, but the old saying is you can bring a hostile water, you can't make them drink. Right. So that's there. And then we have the, the you know, the, the folks in there with this low-level crimes, maybe simple possession of drugs or a, a multiple offense drunk driving or, you know, disorderly conduct, that stuff that they're in there. And a lot of that is caused by the substance abuse issue. So how do you deal with it? So now we try to address that through, through some of the partners we come in. So it's clinical training. It's trying to change their brain which is tough. It mm-hmm. is tough to do. And we also got into medication-assisted treatments with methadone, suboxone, subutex, and Vivitrol, which is the new buzzwords. Um, but we started that in 2018, and it, it, it's the same thing. It's, it's not the best solution in the world, but it is a solution. And when we see people in the jail from all walks of life, mm-hmm. you know, we offer it. And if they want to do it, we will encourage them to do it. But you can't make a hostage, uh, drink the water. Can you it. explain to people, because I think most people don't know, and even though I've been in law enforcement for a long time, sometimes I forget, the difference between jail and prison? Yeah. A jail is, it's pretrial. You're waiting trial. You have not gone in front of a judge or a jury. You have not pled so out. So you haven't been convicted of anything. You haven't been convicted of anything. But a judge uh, deemed you a threat to society, so they, they either post, uh, put a bail on you or put no bail, means you're held anyway. House of correction means you've been sentenced to a term of two and a half, maximum two and a half years in a in a county jail like we have here. Anything over two and a half years, you go to the state department of corrections. So then you go to prison. 
And that's for long that's term. That's a prison. That's so a anything more than two years, anything two, less than two years, you take them. Two and a half. Or two and a half. And then anything over two and a half, they go to a state prison. Correct. And that's, and that's a totally different environment run by totally different people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. See, I have a lot of people who, who ask me these kinds of questions, and sometimes I don't... I mean, I can answer the simple part. Yeah. Like, I know the difference between prison, but I, I don't always yeah. know the details, yeah. and so we want people. So one of the complaints that we had during um, uh, your predecessor's time as sheriff was uh, we had a number of people who were family members of inmates who would call and say, because everybody thinks that because I'm a newspaper, they can tell me all their life stories, right? <laughs> so I had a, a number of people for a long time calling me saying, you know, my brother just went into prison, and I went in and I put like $100 on his account. And the sheriff's department takes a piece of that. And then when he goes in to withdraw it, they take another piece of that. So, by the, so I have to deposit like 130 or $140 to get him $100 so he can use for the canteen. Is that still the case? No. And you're, you're talking in a gray area. Let me try to find out what you might be getting for questions. So the, uh, the, the commissary where they put money in there um, and the inmates can actually buy things. They can buy a bag of Doritos. Or they can buy a pair of sneakers like that. We, we issue the traditional jumpsuit thing. But they can buy small items like that. Um, and then there's the phone calls, the telephone calls, which has been a hot-button topic lately, and the legislature just passed a bill. So now we're going, to, we're going to be giving the inmates free phone calls. So when the phone calls um, were actually really came to, the, to light a couple of years ago, they started pushing this, we do charge uh, a fee for that. And we have a private company that does it all. But the sheriff's departments get a commission. And that commission is uh, – well, well, we charge them 14 cents a minute. The commission for Essex County – Department-wide is about $600,000. But by legislative action, every dime of that $600,000, I can't go out and buy cruises or uniforms or do some extra training. It has to go back into inmate programs. So I think a lot of the people think we take that 600000 and it's, it's luxury money for the sheriff to do whatever he wants. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. We put it right back into programs. Now, um, they're just trying to get the bugs out of the new law, though, as of July 1st. We had to provide free phone calls for all the inmates. So then we're going to see how that works out because they get very expensive. And keep in mind, when we have the phone calls, it's also security concerns here because we've got to make sure the inmates aren't calling previous victims right, of crimes or right. estranged spouses, et cetera, et cetera. You, you get the picture. Yeah, no. Um, one of the questions that, uh, that I was asked to ask you today, if you came, um, do you drug test your corrections officers? And if you don't, do you think that's a good idea? Um, we, we drug test them if there's reasonable suspicion, if we, if we believe you know, that there's, there's some kind of evidence to it, not probable cause, but some type of evidence. Um, it, it's not a bad thing. When I was in Lynn, we had a little bit more luxury of that. We, if we had officers who worked in a drug unit or were in charge of the evidence room, we routinely drug, uh, drug tested them at the chief's, chief's direction, kind of a preemptive strike. The other way is, I mean, they do, you know, they, they do have rights, but I think the, the, the process we have now, so if we have a suspicion of any odd activity or odd behavior, we, we can order a drug test. So you can just order it randomly. If you have any suspicion at all, you can say, hey, we think Bill might be having a problem. We're going to order him to go do it. Yeah, it's got to be reasonable suspicion. You can right. have some case because right. they are unionized and the union folks will come back. And usually we have a pretty good relationship with the union on any issues. And you talk it out and say, okay, this is why we're doing it. And we do it. Then they can they have the grievance process. How prevalent has it been finding corrections officers or even just people who work in the, in the prison? Sometimes it's not, you know, maybe it's a private person who's, you have a lot of civilians that work there, right? Yeah. How, how often have you found someone to be testing positive? Um, and then what happens if they do? When I got there, there was an individual who never worked under my tenure, but he was on the books. He was out on a, on a disability. Um, 
let's just say with the, the high suspicions, but he decided to retire. So he's, I haven't, knock on wood, I'm plastic, but whatever this is, but I haven't had anybody that, okay. that's been there. There was one individual, I did get a, a phone call from, uh, uh, you know, a party known to me um, uh, that he thought he, he smelled some marijuana a while ago amongst our, uh, a couple of our officers in the field, and we drug tested those. The officers were negative. So it was just, there might have been other circumstances, but we, we did order the drug test, and the officers were exonerated. Maybe you guys should go to Lazy River Products and Drake it. <laughs> Get a bunch of cannabis there and give it to the inmates because I've never seen a person smoking marijuana commit any kind of violence at all. Well, they usually guys sitting on the side watching the violence going, yeah, that looks terrible. This isn't my idea, but I'm just going to tell you what somebody suggested to me one time. Okay. Is we run the farm up the street in yeah. Lawrence. And we eat about 8,000 pounds of produce every year. Someone said jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, why don't we grow marijuana in there? We'll make a fortune selling it on the, right. on the market, and the inmates would be happy. Yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. Anything that's going to make somebody who's violent less violent, I'm okay with. Yeah. I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. So you've been the uh, sheriff for how long now? Four years? Five and a half. Oh, wow. It just goes by. So you're blinking, and, and it just goes. Yeah. How long do you want to be doing this? Like, if you get reelected, it's a six-year term, right? Yep. So you get elected now. It's a six-year term. Is this something that you, you want to like keep for the rest of your life until you're, like, you're ready to retire, or is this... Or is this like your last hurrah? Never say never. Okay. So I, I've got one term just about under my belt. As you just said, I am running for re-election this year, and I'd love to get another term because I've done some stuff in the jail. I've made some improvements, and I want to continue those improvements. I want to kind of, as I say all the time, raise the bar in correction. Let's mm -hmm. make it a little bit more you know, stronger and, and more serviceable. Again, public safety. Because mm -hmm. what we do with those inmates while they're inside, and, and number one, keep those that are a danger to society inside, and then those that, that might need services that we talked about, you know, what can we do so they don't come back to see us? But I have other stuff I'd like to do for another another six years, and we'll figure it out the future after that. What kind of work programs? If, if I've got a brother that gets arrested, he's in your facility, um, maybe even gets convicted, he's got to do a year and a half for whatever, and he decides he wants to join a work program because he doesn't want to sit in a cell all day. Yep. What, are, what are some of your work program what are some of those jobs like? First of all, if you're going to get into one of our work programs, the inmate has to abide by the rules and he has to have a clean disciplinary record. That's okay. just, that's, it has to happen. We're right. not just doing this for, for, for fun and fun and games. So we have a number of programs. We do uh, the C-Tech industry, which is uh, Cat5, Cat6 Cat cabling, uh, fiber optic cabling, so they can work in the technology industry, ServeSafe, they can work in the restaurant industry, OSHA for the construction industry. But our flagship, so to speak, is Hardscape. We partnered up about, it's probably three, four years ago now with the New England Concrete Manufacturers Association. We got a grant. We hired one of the instructors from next door in Middleton, the Essex North Shore Technical High School. He comes up here to the farm. He teaches the inmates masonry, landscaping, uh, building pathways, walkways, landscape walls. Inmates love it because they're outside. They're mostly young guys. They like lifting block, working out, out in the outdoors. They teach them a trade, how to build these things. And then when, when they get released, um, the landscapers were just hiring them like that because right. they have a skill. Right. And a lot of the other things we teach them is, is the same thing as just, you know, they, they can go to work. And we had a great work release program for a long time. We had over 100 inmates would go out on a daily basis to work. Um, in general, mostly it's in the, the fast food service or mm -hmm. some of the more labor industries. So they um, leave the prison, they go to work. And then they have to come back by a certain time, obviously, right? Do you guys transport them? We, as I say to the employers, we pick up and deliver. They will never be late. Okay. And if they don't work out, we will give you somebody else tomorrow. Okay. And for the employers, they get a break on their taxes. Right. Now, so can anybody, like if I know somebody that owns like a dental office and they need somebody, yeah. um, can they call you and say, hey, I got a dental office in Lawrence. 
uh, you know, the, the, uh, Dr. Benedetto calls you and he says, I could use a couple of uh, dental assistants if you've got anybody that maybe knows a little bit about that industry. Can they just call you and you can supply somebody for them if you got? They, they can always call. We, we do thorough background checks on who's employing them and what do they need. And sometimes we have, you know, somebody that might be a dental hygienist or something in jail just right. because – Whatever, yeah. you know. Law of averages, right? Law of averages. So you do. And then if that person is eligible for work release, yeah, we could, we could accommodate them. Um, but it's just, it takes time because we do, like I said, thorough backgrounds. We got to make sure we're not taking our inmates and employing them someplace that's not going to do any of us any good. So we're very cautious how we do it. But theoretically, it could happen. What's the biggest challenge as the head administrator? I'm sure the paperwork must be unbelievable that you have to fill out, right? What 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 is uh, what is your biggest challenge as the sheriff going forward? Like, say, let's say you get reelected, you got six years now. You can put a great six year plan together. What what is your biggest challenge right now? Our biggest challenge is recruitment, um, and I think that's in, in general law enforcement everywhere uh, in the last couple of years. So, um, we need more officers. We need correctional officers. It's not a bad job. It's not an easy job, but you know you can come out of. Um, second, third shift, you're making $67,000 a year and all the overtime you want. So we have to have bodies because obviously we have to keep safety in the jail. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost would, would be, you know, we have to get more more offices in, inside there. And to me, I'm, I'm more of a community service guy. So what can we do to help all the 34 cities and towns in, in, in the area? Now, Lawrence, we, we come up here all the time. In fact, I, they're doing a 911 memorial redo down and down in town, um, mm-hmm. down by the Commons someplace. We're helping them out with that, with free labor, just to somehow give back right. to, to the community. But you know what can we do back? Uh, give back to the community with the inmates. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're familiar with our graffiti truck, so graffiti gets mm-hmm. written up someplace. We come in and we clean it up. Now, can, let me just uh, yeah. back you up. So your graffiti trucks is this something where you paint over it, or is this one of those like companies? Uh, I, I used to work with a company that would come in with they had a special chemical that would just dissolve the graffiti right off the. That's what we do. That's what you're doing. Municipal property. Um, uh, non-profits, we can't do private property, but we'll come in and clean it up, and then uh, and then usually it looks looks pretty good afterwards. And the inmates actually do the labor; it's under supervision of, of our staff out in the field. So, um, someone gets arrested, they get brought to your facility. What is the process? Like they, the the judge says, okay, I'm holding you without bail. They get transported to obviously Middleton. I'm sure if there's no bail, what's the process? They walk in the door, and what happens? Um, it's, it's a lengthy process. First of all, they'll, they'll come in, they'll get booked in all the pertinent information, name, date of birth, uh, history. We do an assessment of the individual. We look at the criminal history. Why are they here? Um, we, we look at their, uh, um, any medical issues, any mental health issues, any substance use disorders, um, uh, any gang involvement, whatever we, we want the big picture because we got to be very careful. First of all, where we house this person, which means how do we classify him? Mm-hmm. Then uh, are there any immediate medical needs? If there are, if they have a you know hot problem or if they're detoxing from, uh, from substance use, we'll put them up in our medical housing unit under medical care to, to level them off. Do they get like methadone, suboxone or any of that? Do you have like that kind of treatment? If, if they're coming in, if they're in a community-based um, MAT, medication-assisted treatment, if they're in a community-based MAT program now and they arrive at the jail today, we can automatically check that through the, the computer system. We will continue that. Um, and then we will continue every day. They will get a dose of methadone, suboxone, or Vivitrol is more of a 30 day deal. Then if they're in 60 days prior to being released, we will, we will induce them if they want on one of those drugs. And then they have that when they go out. Mm-hmm. So once they're in, we do that. Um, if they, if we, uh, um, if they haven't been vaccinated, we'll put them in their quarantine unit. Now we've kind of relaxed a little bit. If they have been vaccinated and they're showing no signs of COVID or any other illness, We'll get them into general. Do they have to, do inmates have to get vaccinated if they say I don't want I don't want the vaccine? 
They, it's their call. So it's their, God, bless their con- God bless you. God bless you. Because I know that's the constitutional right. That's not my right. call. That's right. Well, I mean, you would think that. Yeah. But there are elected officials all over this country who don't think that. Yeah. Who think that because they have some kind of position of power, the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what are you? What are you looking forward to for the next six years? What is going to be your biggest goal for the sheriff's? To, like six years from now, if you decide, okay, I'm done with this. I don't want to run anymore. What would you like to have accomplished? Um, I want to further professionalize the place. But when I got up there, one of the first things I wanted to do was training. I've always been a big advocate of police training. Mm-hmm. I did it in Lynn. I, training saves lives, no question. It, absolutely. And, and you can train and train and train, then you should train some more. That's always been my motto. So but since my first term here, or during my first term, we, we, we ratcheted up the level of training for everybody. Uh, every officer goes through 40 years of in-service training. Uh, some of that used to be online. We, we do back in 40 the seats, 40, weeks. 40 hours a year. Oh, 40, okay. Mandatory. Sounds like you said 40 years. Oh, my God. That's well, a long, that's maybe a long I job. did. I apologize. That's a long job. <laughs> yeah. So they got to do 40 hours a year in the seats. Uh, back, back then it was, on, it was online. I, I'm not a big fan of online training. I think you're better off yeah, in, in, in the classroom yeah, with the instructor and you've got to have some interaction. Then I went out and I, I've, I brought in specialized training for every, every supervisory rank, uh, sergeants and then lieutenants and captains. And we still, we got sidetracked with COVID, but the next thing will be the next the assistant superintendents. Give them specialized training at supervisory level so they can well, watch the staff, hold them accountable, and know what, what's expected of the officers and their, and, their, mm-hmm. uh, and their work ethic. And it seems to be working pretty well. So I want to continue that. I have to continue to deal with the, with the substance use and mental, mental illness because our jail is flooded with it. Mm-hmm. And ever since... Is it growing in the jail population, or does it seem to be diminishing? It, it goes, it's like a roller coaster. It goes up and down. It goes up and down. You know, during COVID, everybody's worried about COVID. Everybody started to forget about the opiate epidemic that we've all been facing for decades. Right, right. And now COVID's kind of winding down. Opiate's up there. I mean, but opiates have been there for a few years. It, mm-hmm. it just got shadowed up by, by, um, by COVID. So, you know, we have to just continue to, to provide those services. The courts, criminal justice reform in 2018 put a lot of mandates on us. So, obviously, we we're following them to to abide by the law, but the uh, um, the treatment for that is huge. And again, as I said right now, part of my next term would be just to continue the, we can do so much in the jail. Right. I think we do a really good job at that. But when they leave us, they go back to the community and then they're back on the streets, in the shelters, in the food kitchens, or living under the bridge. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, you get calls, well, why does this happen? Why are they just dropping them off? Right. We got to find a better solution. So right. we like to work very closely. There's a lot of the homeless that we feed on Wednesday nights on Manchester Street behind La Frutera. And I can tell you where all the spots are, where yeah. all the, well, the little uh, tent cities are for the homeless. The vast majority of those people have just gotten out of prison or jail, or they've got warrants, so yeah. they're hiding, yeah. right? And I think that's where the frustration comes. If you, if you took out all the people who just got out of jail and shouldn't be on the streets, warrants would have a much easier time cleaning up their homeless problem, I think, anyways. Um, I saw on Facebook, I think a couple of years ago, that you guys put up a memorial yeah. to service dogs. Was it? No, we have a memorial for POW MIAs. Okay, um, I know I saw that. But didn't you do one for canine service search dogs? Wasn't there? Maybe that was under Cousins. Maybe no. no? There's, there's no memorial there. I know we had you know a dog pass away. We did a little memorial service, okay. and obviously, you know, other all the canine guys, regardless where you work, they're all very they're a tight knit group. Yeah. So if one dog dies, everybody kind anything of, happens with dogs, people send it to me. Oh, they, know, yeah. they know I love yeah. dogs, so yeah. I'm maybe yeah. just remembering it. Yeah. Do you have a memorial for? Um, Corrections officers that have lost their lives. Have you lost any corrections officers? We lost a correctional officer last year to COVID. And he's thirty. he was 37 years old, right. father of a little six-year-old autistic son. Great <sighs> people, great family. Um, 
COVID just got him in a bad way and, and he passed. And we have another officer who was uh, about the same time. He was 36. He is 36. He's still, he's still uh, doing okay, but he's got a lot of serious long-term uh, medical mm-hmm. issues due to COVID. And hopefully he'll come back sometime, but he's got a long road ahead of him. But no deaths or like long-term no. injuries from, you know, fights no. or violence. What is, what is the, we all have an idea in our head what prisons are like. Is it like it is on the movie? In the movies, is it violence everywhere and no. people sneaking out of their cells and paying no. off guards and all that stuff you no. see on TV? No, it's no, not. And like I, that. I think you know me well enough. If I ever had guards getting paid off or any of that silly stuff you see on TV, I'd right. be cleaning house. I yeah. guarantee you, that's the bone of contention with me. I want accountability. Our, our motto up there is honesty, integrity, respect. That's got to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it, sometimes there's fights because we had a lot of gang activity. We got a lot of different characters who don't like other characters. So mm-hmm. it's so key where we house them. But uh, is it race based? No, you mean the housing piece of it? No, the gang, the gang piece. Oh, some of it's race-based. Some of it's just beliefs as, in there's gangs for any, any whatever you're interested in, you right. can find a gang. You know, a lot of them are drug, drug-driven and that type of thing. So we got to separate them. But, you know, on occasion there are fights, but we have to have a, a, like a code of discipline in there. So we, we, we get on top of it pretty well. And then if they do fight, then we have to address discipline inside the institution because it's safety. It's safety mm-hmm. for all. Does that affect their sentence if somebody's waiting to, be, to go to trial and they and they get involved with some kind of violence inside the prison that they're responsible for. Does that add to their sentence when they get convicted? If the if the if the act is serious, and we will charge them, and we will bring them back to court. The problem is sometimes you get somebody there on a, on a murder case, you know, and we bring them back on a assault and battery case. It's nothing's going to really happen because right. they. But um, there's a lot of people that are in that are other charges. So if if there's something serious or if a weapon is some type of weapon is used, we will charge and bring them back to court. If it's not through our disciplinary process, yes, the, the length of sentence could be uh, could be modified because we do have sometimes you get you get uh, you might be able to get out early through, and we can work with probation in the courts on that if we need to. I hate to say that we've got three minutes wow. left. Believe it or not, it just goes so fast because we just have so much fun here on the program. Um, make your final pitch. You know, people are going to go to the polls and they may not know that you have an, op- uh, an opponent. But but they may see the opponent's name. Make your final pitch. Why should people vote for Kevin Coppinger to, to be the Essex County Sheriff for the next six months? And please add your phone number, your email address. Yep. If you've got a website, we want people to donate if they want to. Yep. yep. Um, in a nutshell, I've got over 30, 35 years of experience in the law enforcement community. But remember, the Sheriff's Department is a large institution. We have over 600 employees, 200 vendors and volunteers on a regular basis. Um, tens of thousands of visitors come in every year. I have a budget of $78 million, and I have over 1,100 inmates. That's a lot of responsibility for a person that sits at the head of the food chain, so to speak, in the sheriff's office. You have to have some experience in order to, to deal with those issues and, and, and operate under those conditions, and I have that because of my my years in, as Lynn Police with a smaller budget, but it was a $20 million budget, and I've kind of grown up, up to where we are with this type of facility. But the Sheriff's Department is part of law enforcement. It does provide services to throughout the county to all 34 cities and towns. We support the courts. Um, we, you know, we, we support you know, um, the local police and, as I said before, community service. But when you look at what we have inside the jail, I just want folks to remember that it's a balancing act for, for, for me and us as a team for the sheriff's department. We have those inmates who have committed some of the most heinous crimes you can even think of, and they're waiting trial, but they are in our facility. And then we have those inmates with the lesser crimes, again, simple drug possession, maybe a second or third uh, driving, drunk driving offense. We have to find a healthy balance where 
some folks need some some treatment some folks need some guidance and, and some and education we do a lot of education programs with the northern Essex community college we bring them in and they instruct the, the kids kids i shouldn't say that the 18 to 24 year olds and then if they don't complete their education in the jail they can still enroll in northern essex up here and we're working with north shore down on the south thing so we're giving these guys and ladies an opportunity to better themselves we encourage them to do it and if they do it i think it will improve i know it will improve public safety in the neighborhoods and in the communities and we also take advantage of, of uh, like I said, we talked a little bit about the uh, um, the electronic technology pieces of it too. But that's another big piece of where we're going because we do video court. So a lot of times now we don't have to transport the inmate to the court in the van. We can do it from the from the from the uh, the house of correction or the jail through through almost like we're doing here, like a Zoom thing or a podcast, and they live into the into the uh, into the courtroom itself. So. What I want to do, I mean, I've got a lot done. I think I have a great resume. Go to www.essexsheriffma.org. You'll learn about all the things we've done in the jail. Look at our annual reports. I started an annual report my second second year in term, and we try to be very, very transparent. There's a wealth of information on what we do in the jail and outside the jail. Um, our Facebook page, you know, um, you go, go there, the Sheriff, Essex County Sheriff's Department Facebook page. You'll see a lot, a lot of stuff there. Um, I am running for re-election this year. I am asking for your vote. Um, September 6th is the primary, and as, as Tom said, I do have an opponent, um, but that's it. September 6th, one way or the other, is there is no Republican in the race, so that's going to be it. Um, I want to do another term. I think I've done some great work coming into this. Uh, I have more ideas, as we talked about, for the next term. Um, really, public safety is a, a paramount of, of most importance to me. Um, I want to make us uh, communities better. I want to see what I can do. And we're running out of time. So, All right. Essex County Sheriff Kevin Coppinger. Um, I have to ask you on the record before we go, what, what does she do for you? She's my public information lady. She's for, the, for, for your campaign or for the sheriff's department? Oh, the department? sheriff's department. All right. Okay. Because I could use some contracts, so I'll be calling her next. <laughs> uh, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, I want to thank JG's Ice Cream. For, by the way, uh, you can roll up Mel while I, I do this. I'll, I swear I'll try and get it done in the minute and a half of the music. Uh, JG's Ice Cream. They're not an official sponsor, but we always leave them up for free because I love their ice cream and the Jafrida brothers are great guys and every once in a while randomly I'll get an email from one of the Jafrida brothers who watched the show and saw the ad and said you know you're not charging us for that here's an extra $300 thanks for what you're doing and and thank you for doing that guys because we do it we give you the ad for free because we love you but the, the fact that you're willing to kick in something to help us out beats an awful lot to me especially because I'm broke uh, we want to thank McLennan Real Estate, Century 21, Lazy River Products and Drake It, Marsan and Sun Construction, EIS Investigation, Borelli's Deli, where I'm going to get my hot sausages right after the show, Tomo and Shaken Seafood down here on South Broadway in Salem, New Hampshire, Clear Path for Veterans, New England, <sighs> Sullivan Insurance, AFC Urgent Care, and our good friend Dave Id Consoli at Pleasant Valley Landscaping. He's always looking for people, so I'm going to have him call you. Absolutely. Because he was just telling me the other day he's looking for people. Yeah. So I'm gonna, Great. Don't miss our debate August 25th, 3.30 here in the studio. Thank you, Chrissy. Great job today. And it sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. So go home already. So go home already. <laughs> you the views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.